You guys, I'm, I'm being serious though, don't take for granted what you got here. There's something amazing happening right here at Emerge, and you should be a part of it every single time. I need one volunteer, one guy volunteer who doesn't mind coming up here and standing with me for a couple of minutes. One male volunteer has to be a guy. Come on up, Isaac. Isaac, in just a second, right, listen, listen, I need your attention tonight. In just a second, I'm going to slap you in the face, okay? It's your job. It is your job, though, to stop me. I don't want you to tackle me. Don't, like, try to take me down or anything because I'm getting old and you might hurt me. You don't know, you don't, you don't get to know when this is going to happen, but I want you to be ready, okay? I'm going to slap you in the face. Come, come right over here. Stand right here next to me. Don't be a distraction to anybody. Just stand here, regular, okay? Don't, like, try to do anything weird, okay? <laughs> but I'm going to slap you in the face. Okay. Make sure you stop me. Okay. You need to be ready. Are you ready Good. for it? Yeah. How many of you guys think he can stop me? You think, you think he's going to be ready for it, or do you think that I'm just going to reach over and smack him in the face? See, I could have done it right there, and you wouldn't even have stopped me. He wasn't ready. It's your job to stop me. Do you, do you understand that part? Yes. Are you sure? Yeah. I don't think you're ready. <laughs> How many of you think he's ready? Seriously. You think I'm going to smack him? Okay. Be ready. You ready? So one of my all-time favorite games, one of my favorite things that I've um, gotten to do throughout my life, this is a great game you can play at any phase, but I especially learned to uh, love this game when I um, first became a dad and I had little kids. I love playing the game of hide-and-seek with my kids. Anybody like the game of hide-and-seek? It's still one of my favorite games. It's so fun because you get to, um, you get to obviously, you can be the hider or the seeker or whatever, but my favorite thing to do is to be uh, one of the guys that's hiding throughout the game. I love it because we, you can play outside, you can play inside, whatever, but it's, I think it's more fun if you play inside and you really plan out like this spot to go and kind of get tucked away. And You guys with me? Anybody done this before? Yeah. So it's so much fun when you play and, and you, know, you know how the game goes. Somebody goes and they, they count and there's a base assigned somewhere and they count to like 50, 60, 100, whatever you assign. I don't know how long you guys did this. When the kids were younger, obviously it was like count to 10 and then come find me. And so, count to, yeah, count to 10, 10 times. But anyway, I would, I would tell the kids, okay, stay here and count, and then I would go get my spot. And I was not one that, like, took it easy on them. I didn't, like, hide like this, okay, you know. Like, I really hid from them because I, I liked the game, and I wanted to win. But there's that moment in the game that is so much fun to me because you plan out your spot, you get settled in, and you're like, okay, this is going to be a good one. You hear them count, and they're like, 39. 40, 41, you know, and you're, there's like all this anticipation. And finally, what do you hear them yell out? Ready or not, here I come, which is the title of tonight's message, Ready or Not, Here I Come. If you're taking notes, write that down. I don't want you to take the illustration all the way through, okay? The game of hide-and-seek does not completely play out. It will break down if you're really following the analogy here. But Hide-and-go-seek is much like our parable that we're going to dig into tonight, and I like the fact that Pastor Jeremy wrapped up um, a little bit of what we've talked about the, uh, the last couple of weeks. I don't have to review all that, but tonight, before we jump into our actual text, what we have to do is look back a little ways, because before Jesus gets into this parable that he's talking about tonight, he is teaching his disciples. There's several things that he's doing 
And the whole time he's teaching them, he's trying to get these larger principles through to them. And often, uh, like we've talked about with this series, he resorts to parables, which are just like stories uh, in order to communicate these larger lessons. Hey, you need to come over closer to me. That way I can smack it at some point, okay? okay? Are you ready? So Jesus is hanging out. He's, he's just done this large uh, sermon. He's been ministering to people. He's doing all this stuff. And finally, he slips away for a little while, and he's hanging out with just his disciples. And we're in Matthew chapter 24. And basically, his disciples start asking these end times questions. Everybody know what the end times are? It's like the end of the book in Revelation where things get really weird and confusing. They're asking, like, what's going to happen at this point and this point and everything? So Jesus is teaching them in Matthew 24 all throughout the chapter. You need to read this sometime on your own, but we're going to skip down to Matthew 24 verses 36 through 50 is what we're going to start out with. He says this, but about the day or the hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the son, but only the father, as it was in the days of Noah. Everybody know who Noah was? Noah, I like Noah. Noah's a woodworker. I'm a woodworker. I build stuff in my driveway. He built a boat. We're pretty much like the same guy. So it will be at the coming of the son of man. For in the days before the flood, People were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. So what is, what's Jesus saying here? It's like life was just regular, life as usual. But how strange would it be if one of your neighbors started building this giant boat out in the middle of the neighborhood and told you a flood is coming and it's like this area where floods never happen. Most of these people had never seen rain generation after generation. It was a great drought. They had never seen rain. But Noah was telling them, it's going to rain, and he started building a boat, okay? A guy like that is crazy, right? So these people were just going about their lives as usual. Noah going about his business as usual, preparing for the rain, hammering away, board after board, nail, I don't know what they used back then, wooden peg, whatever, I don't know. But he's constructing a boat, okay? Day after day, week after week, eventually it becomes years this guy's out here, and nobody's taking him serious at all, right? They come by, some of them probably make fun of him, but nobody is like, hey, can I help out, or could I get on that boat? You got any extra tickets? How's this work? I want to know. No, Jesus says, when I come back, it's going to be like these days when everybody's just like going about life as usual. Verse 39 says, and they know nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. Okay, so again, eventually the flood comes, right? And, and they know that something is happening at that point. That's how it will be at the end, or I'm sorry, at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in a field. One will be taken. One will be left. Two women will be grinding, a hand, uh, grinding with a hand mill. One will be taken. The other left. Just simple illustrations to us. This is weird, okay, but this is like any other thing. We're hanging out in Starbucks, you know, one person having coffee, one's gone all of a sudden. Just normal illustrations to these people and talk about the field and grinding at the mill and all this stuff. So he says, therefore, keep watch because you do not know, you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this. If the owner of a house had known at what time the night, the, at night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would have let his house, would not have let his house be broken into. We all would do that, right? 
If somebody told us your house will be broken in tonight at 3.45 a.m., what are you going to do? You're going to stand up, keep watch. You're going to be ready for the slap in the face. Nope. I could have done it. You weren't ready. Somebody is going to come to your house tonight, right, and break in. So what do you do? You stand watch. You stand guard. You're going to be ready. You're not going to let them just, like, break in. You're not going to oversleep. You're going to be ready for that, right? Jesus says, so it'll be, you know, like if, if a thief comes in the middle of the night, be ready. So you must also be ready for the Son of Man will come in an hour when no one expects him. You expecting this? <laughs> Go sit down. Thank you. Give Isaac a hand. I thought about having him stand up here all night and never slapping him. I know you would have, but thank you for playing along. I appreciate that. So the disciples naturally are like, okay, we hear you saying all this stuff, but when is it going to happen, right? That's what we would ask. Again, if somebody's going to break in the house, the first question is when. Then we might get into why or how or other things like that. But first, we're going to say when. And so when Jesus starts talking about end time things, starts teaching about end time things, his natural, the, the, the natural first question is, when is this going to happen? And he keeps telling them, nobody knows. Nobody knows. Okay, it, it, it's, I'm sorry, but, but it's just a secret. It's a mystery. I don't even know is what he's saying. The son of man doesn't know. When I was a kid at church, we, this, is, this is something that, that most people my age and, and older have experienced. There was a time when you could not go to church, whether it was a Sunday, a Wednesday night like this. You couldn't go to church without people talking about the Lord coming back for his church. You couldn't, you couldn't go to church unless somebody talked about the return of the Lord. This whole, you know, thief uh, at night, this whole, you know, two men out in the field, one's, one's uh, taken, the other's left behind. That was just like normal conversation. There were even songs. Um, remember the DT, DC Talk song? Da, 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 one man feels. I wish we'd all been ready. It was like this song is like this little love song about people disappearing, you know, and, and we're like all singing it. Yeah, I wish we'd all been ready. Because it was like normal back then to talk about Jesus coming back. We talked about it all the time. Matter of fact, for most people my age that grew up in church, we got saved every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, every Wednesday night, because Jesus was coming back that day, and you had to make sure you were ready. So it was like common things years ago for us when we grew up in church and I'm afraid that in a, in a, in a small way, like I, I think that there's some good in not living like in fear about this, but there's something that we've lost when we don't have the urgency that Jesus is returning. He's told us, he's laid it out in scripture, and I'm afraid we've kind of lost a little bit of that when we go about our lives all the time and never think about the fact that Jesus is coming back. I'm thankful that you guys don't come to church and you don't live in fear, you don't leave in fear of Jesus coming back and being left behind. But at the same time, I want you to be ready. And the only way you can be ready is to know and to anticipate that Jesus is coming back. I promise you, he is. How do we know? He said he was. When's he coming back? We don't know. But he's coming back. It's the truth. 
So Jesus is talking at the end of this chapter, and, he, and he, he starts talking about the day and the hour. And he says, nobody knows, not even the Son of Man. So here's another little side note. If somebody begins to tell you, if they get really into this whole end times thing, and they start to tell you, here's when I think Jesus is coming back, or this is how you can know when the Lord will come back. What does that say for Jesus' teaching? If Jesus says nobody knows, including the Son of Man, and somebody tells you Jesus is coming back on, blah, 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 and they roll a date out, it means Jesus is a liar, right? Because he said nobody knows. People can really get off track when they start digging into the how and the when Jesus is going to come back. It's important to study Revelation at some point in your life and know what it means what it's trying to tell you. But I will say this, don't, don't sweat those details, okay? That's not the point of this whole, um, this whole story that Jesus is trying to communicate because nobody knows. When I was a kid, there was a book, true story, called 88 Reasons Why Jesus is Coming Back in 1988. Spoiler alert, he didn't come back in 1988. That's a, a real book. You can probably still buy it today. But people were really obsessed about trying to figure out when Jesus would return. You're not going to figure it out. So don't, don't worry about it, okay? There's bigger issues at hand. There are more important things, and it's not what Jesus is trying to get us to do to figure out when he's coming back. So Jesus is talking with his disciples, and they're asking all these questions. And so finally he's like, look, you guys aren't getting it. I, the, the important part is not when. It's, it's why and what to do in the meantime. And so Jesus ends chapter 24, and he jumps into the 25th chapter, which is our actual story for tonight. And I have to be honest, you guys know at this point, Jesus is quite the storyteller, right? A lot of times he's teaching, people are like, oh, okay, you know, and they're like confused by his stories because they're, they're a little bit out there sometimes, and especially for us growing up in a, in a context, a, a culture that's completely different from the culture that they were a part of 2,000 years ago, they were Jewish, and, and, and they had cultures and traditions and customs that were nothing like our lives now. So a lot of these stories, you really have to dig in to understand the context, to understand what is he trying to communicate to us. I have to say, as I read this, it sounds like the setup for some really, really weird reality TV show. So reality TV had its heyday probably a few years before most of you were watching TV. But basically what a reality TV show was, they'd take a bunch of regular ordinary people, put them in very extraordinary circumstances, set a camera in the room and let them just kind of live it out and fight it out and see what happened. That's kind of what all this sounds like to me because it's like, tonight on Parables, we're going to take this one lucky man and these ten virgins. And that's the story. Here we are, Matthew chapter 25. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Anybody read this story before? Okay, two of you. Seriously. Do you read your Bible, people? Matthew, it's the first book in the New Testament. It's 25 chapters in. You could have read this by now. Come on. Matthew 25. At that time, 
The kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish. Five of them were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. So Jesus, again, is telling a story that to us sounds totally weird, really makes no sense at first, but to his disciples, they completely tracked right away with what he's saying. All the stuff in 24, he was losing them, I promise. He's starting to talk about things that are kind of way out in left field. He's digging them into Old Testament prophecies and all sorts of weird things. 25, he's like, okay, let me explain this in simple terms that you can get. I'll tell you a parable. And that's where Matthew 25 starts. He starts describing a Jewish wedding. That's what this parable is all about. Really, the word virgins here, which tends to throw us off track, it would be better interpreted as bridesmaids, okay? And back in the day when when this uh, story would have been told, basically what Jesus meant was, okay, these young Jewish people were getting married, okay? Most of the time, people got married way earlier back then than they do now, and here's how it would have happened. Basically, a boy and a girl meet each other, they, they begin to fall in love, they kind of start to make plans to get married. They're asked for their parents' permissions. That's not that much different than today. This is kind of like their courting process. At the end of that process, they approach their parents. Their parents give their blessing. Then they enter into something that's like our engagement, but they call it betrothal. Okay? Most of you have probably heard the word betrothed. If you've read the, the birth narrative of Jesus, it talks about Mary and Joseph being betrothed to one another. Basically, it's engagement kind of like to the next level. It's an actual contract that was drawn up between two people. So boy and girl fall in love, parents give their blessing, they agree to get married, and they actually form a contract that has all sorts of terms and things like that, and they agree, yes, we will get married. At this point, they start to really officially make their plans. What happens? The groom goes away for like a year most of the time. It's anywhere from 10 months to 14 months, sometimes 16 months. He goes away for a period of time. Why? Because he's preparing a place. He's physically and literally building a house for his future wife and him to live in and to start a family. There you go, guys. There's a challenge for you. Don't get married. Move into your mom's basement. Go away. Build a house. Get a career. Do all that stuff first. The guy goes away The bride has her little team of bridesmaids, a lot like today, right, ladies? You got your bridesmaids picked out yet? Okay, some of you do. And it's the bridesmaids' jobs to help the bride prepare for the groom. Okay, the groom is coming back someday, and the bridesmaids, or in this story, the virgins, are helping because they were all like 14, 15 years old. They're helping the bride prepare for the return of the groom. So they are helping her be ready so that when he comes back, everything is set and they're all ready to go. That's the beginning of this story. It made total sense to these guys and gals as he was talking and telling this story to us. Again, it's kind of weird, but here's the point. The point is not what's the date of the wedding. It's not when, when will the groom return home. That's not the point. The point is let's get ready so that when he comes back, we're all set. 
That's the point of this whole story. So as Christ is telling them, they're beginning to track with, okay, now I get it. Now I understand. Verse 5, though, here's something really interesting. And, and a lot of times we kind of glaze over this part. We, we get really focused on the, the foolish bridesmaids or the foolish virgins who showed up to this whole uh, party, this whole, this whole like watch fest, and, and they're waiting without their oil. We think about that all the time, but we forget about this. That in verse 5, it says, the bridegroom was away a long time. They all became drowsy and fell asleep. Two things. Number one, they all. We all in this story represent the bridesmaids. Sorry, guys, but we're bridesmaids in this story, okay? Jesus is the groom. The bride is the church, and we're all the bridesmaids, okay? We're helping Jesus prepare the bride, his church, for his return. So they all, here's the thing. We, we don't have to really get into the details of, of, well, which side are you on? Are you on the foolish side? Or are you on the wise side? Which one? The important part is this, that we are all invited to be a part of this party. Nobody's excluded from this. Every single one of us has an invitation to be a part of what Jesus is preparing to do. There's not one individual in this room tonight that's excluded from this. A lot of times these days, people get really hung up on, on Christianity, and they start focusing on like sin and, and punishment and hell and all this stuff, and they start thinking, wow, that's terrible. Like, Why would anyone be excluded? Why would anybody be, be judged for things that they do? Surely aren't we all like just good people, and, and why, would, why would a good God punish or exclude anyone? Here's the thing. Christianity is the most, the single most inclusive thing that there is on the planet. Why? Because it's accessible, it's available to every single person. Every single one of you in this room tonight have an open invitation and there's absolutely nothing exclusive about it. Everyone is invited. We all have been given the opportunity to come to Christ and be saved and forgiven by him for life with him. It's, it's like the largest, most open-ended invitation that you can possibly imagine. So when people start talking about Christianity being exclusive or having, having issues with, with hell and stuff like that, just remind them, hey, you know what? You got the same shot that I do. And it's a pretty good one, actually. Jesus is a really easygoing guy in a lot of ways, you know? He's like, hey, come to me. I'll take care of the rest. You just give me your life. Come to me and let me do the rest. But here's the thing. They all became drowsy and fell asleep. I have a feeling if Isaac was still standing up here right now, I could have just turned and slapped him right in the face right then. He would have been, he would not have been expecting it by now. I probably should have done that because he was talking just a second ago. I deserve a slap in the face. Just kidding. They all fell asleep. They all got drowsy. Even the wise, right? There were, there were five of them that were, they were actually prepared with their oil. We're going to talk a little bit more about that in a minute. But, but all of them in the waiting fell asleep. What was their job to do? It was to help the bride be ready. And what did they do? It said because he was away for a while, he was a long time in coming, they all became drowsy and fell asleep. 
I think if we can take this figuratively tonight, that our church, not Crown Point Church, but I think that our church in general has become drowsy and has fallen asleep in our job of waiting for the Lord's return. You know it just as well as I do that people are so distracted, they're so complacent about a relationship with the Lord. Nobody's looking for him. Nobody's waiting with a great expectation for his return. We've lost that sense of urgency that Jesus Christ could return for his church tonight before we walk out of this place. It's true. We're not, none of us are promised tomorrow at all. And I'm not trying to, to be some like doom and gloom kind of guy here tonight. I know that this comes across as really heavy and serious, but the fact is that any one of us tonight could walk out of here and have some tragedy in our life. We're not promised to be alive tomorrow. We're also not promised that before the end of the night, Jesus won't come back. Again, when I was a kid, that was the kind of preaching we heard all the time. But I couldn't tell you the last time we actually stood up and began to teach that message. Why? Because we've gotten drowsy. We've fallen asleep on the job, waiting and watching and being ready for Christ's return. And I think that we need to step up and do something about it. Why? I mean, it's, it's kind of natural, right? Like, waiting is no fun. How many of you love to wait in lines? Anybody? Probably none of us. The other night, or the other day, I was... Um, can't remember what day of the week it was, but Ellis had um, Ellis had not been feeling well one morning before school, and so of course now in today's climate, I, um, I Brittany and I said, well, we better take him to the doctor, get him checked out, make sure he's fine. So um, I called his doctor's office when they opened at eight o'clock, and they um, answered the phone. They said, we can get him in in 30 minutes if you can be here. We can squeeze him in for an, an appointment. And so I was, at that point, I was standing in the kitchen. I wasn't ready to go. I had like breakfast dishes everywhere. Ellis's hair was a mess. I, wasn't, I hadn't even taken a shower yet, all this stuff. So I rushed around. I got ready. I did everything I needed to do. And we were at that doctor's office at 8.30 when they told us to be there. We were ready to go. And guess what we did? We sat there for 20 freaking minutes in that lobby waiting, and I was like, I could have been at home drinking another cup of coffee. Like, seriously, I did not like the wait. And then you know what they did? They took us back to another room and waited another 10 minutes. I was there a half an hour before I saw the dang doctor, and I was like, this is so ridiculous. I mean, not only do I want to be seen when they say it's time to be seen and not wait, but I'm like, I got to go to work. I want to get him to school. Let's, let's move this thing along. I don't like to wait, and I guarantee none of you like to wait. Waiting is no fun, but it's, it's like our Christian job. That's what we've been told to do. But we lose the urgency of being ready for the Lord because, I mean, it's kind of natural. We've been waiting for, for how long? Like thousands of years, right? Every one of us in this room have been waiting our whole life to see the Lord return. There were generations of people that were confident that the Lord would come back within their lifetime. They were looking, they were waiting, but he didn't. 
And that's happened time and time and time again. And next thing you know, here we are completely like unaware of the fact that Jesus may return tonight. I'm not trying to scare anybody. Like that, that's not the point of this message. It's not a message of fear. But it's really more a message to ask you, where are you at? Are you aware that Jesus is coming? And are you ready for his return in your life? If you had to seriously ask yourself tonight, am I ready for Christ's return? If you could be honest with yourself, what would the answer be? Where would you fall? It's either yes or no. I mean, there's, there's, there's really not like an in-between. It's one or the other. And you got to answer the question. I'll never forget when I started college, um, and I, this may have happened in high school, I really don't know, but in college, I remember it specifically, <clears throat> the first day of class, you walk in, teachers are like way more flexible, and, and you're way more independent in college. They say at the beginning of the semester, they're like, here's a packet of papers, here's what you got to do this semester. You read it, and you're like, sweet, I got 16 weeks to get all this work done. Four weeks later, you're like looking at the list and you're like, I got 12 weeks to get all this work done. No big deal, right? A couple weeks goes by again. You're like, ah, oh, crap. I got four weeks. I got to get started on this work. You're like, oh, man, I really need to get to work. Next thing you know, like the night before all the work is done, you're like, can I please get an extension? You'll never believe all the things I've had going on. And it, it's like totally, totally human nature to procrastinate and to put off the things we know we need to be doing. Has anybody else ever procrastinated? Some of you didn't even put your hands up because you're trying to decide, which is procrastination, right? So I'll never forget that feeling. Like, it's just totally normal to just get apathetic and just set things aside and not do the things that we know we, we need to do. It's how it goes a lot of times. In verse 6 of this same chapter, it says this, at midnight, the cry rang out, here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all 10 virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. Trimmed their lamps, basically, lamps had like this little reservoir of oil, had a little wick that would dip down in there to keep the, the, um, the wick ready to go and to burn. And so trimming it was literally physically tr uh, trimming off the burned edge so that you'd have a, a clean and a pure flame burn brighter and things like that. So trimmed and burning. Basically, it's like maintenance to make sure. They didn't have flashlights. This version for us would be like putting batteries in your flashlights, okay, or charging your phone at night, okay? This is what Jesus is trying to say. He's like, all these ladies were there together, and they, they said, hey, come out. It's time to meet them. So they all jump up, and they start trimming their lamps. And the foolish one said to the wise, give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. The other ones are like, no, they replied. They're like, we may not have enough for both of us, so go get your own. And can, I can just imagine this scenario. Like, I, I think about this like a movie scene, and I just envision like this tent out in the middle of the woods, and, and you hear the cry, Jesus is coming, or the bridegroom's coming, and, and all of a sudden like panic hits this tent, and people are jumping up, and they're like, throwing their sleeping bags and people are digging for socks and trying to find their phone and their keys and they're like trying to get their, their stuff together and run out of the tent so that they can go out and be ready. It'd be like way more applicable to our times right now if this was 
like there were f- these 10 ladies all out there together at the sleepover. Five of them brought their chargers, and five of them didn't, right? And so the five who didn't bring their chargers get the call in the middle of the night, and they're like, I got 2% battery. Somebody give me your charger. And the others are like, no, I only have 42%. My phone's only been charging for two hours. Go get your own dang charger. And they're like, give me that charger. And they're like wrestling over it. And some of them are like, my phone's dead. I, gotta, I, I don't have any battery life. And so like they're arguing over what's going on. That's the, the equivalent of this whole like trimmed oil and, and, and uh, my, my lamp doesn't have enough oil and all this stuff. And the others, are the, the ones who were prepared were like, you're on your own. We told you six months ago you should have had some oil for that lamp. Go get your own. And so these ladies finally give in, and they're, like, running off to get their stuff taken care of. I, I, I can't imagine what that would be like, though, to be in that scenario and just feel, like, totally lost. You got to imagine, again, and this, it's not like Walgreens is right there on the corner. You don't just run there, and they're open 24 hours, and you, you know, you get your oil and whatever. You get all your stuff taken care of. They're running into town trying to track down oil from someone that sells oil in the middle of the night. It was probably quite the process if you really play this out. Some were foolish, some were wise. So the ones who were prepared had their stuff together. They had their oil. They were ready to go. They hopped up. Though they had fallen asleep, when it was time to go, they jumped up. They got their lamps trimmed. And they went out to meet the Lord. The others, of course, as the text tells us, were not ready. They weren't prepared. They had no oil in their lamps. They weren't prepared. And I think that some of us can probably identify with this. Verse 10 says this, But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. I think that some of them we're counting on a couple of different things. The ones that weren't prepared, they didn't bring their own oil. I think they were counting on having enough with just whatever was in the tank. They didn't, they didn't think a thing about adding to it. They didn't think, I should probably prepare. I should be ready. They thought, eh, I'll be ready when the time is ready. I'm not going to do anything now to prepare for it. When the time comes, I'll get ready. When I'm out of high school, I'll get serious about the Lord. When I'm out of college, I'll get serious about the Lord. Maybe when, I, when I'm, like, separate from my parents and I have to really do my own thing and I, I can't, like, just go to church with them all the time, maybe I'll get serious about the Lord at that point. I want you to know you cannot borrow someone else's oil the way this plays out. The spiritual oil of our lives, the things that helps us be ready and be prepared is something you have to do on your own. You cannot walk around on someone else's resources. You've got to do it on your own. This youth group, like we talked about at the beginning, your youth pastors, Pastor Jeremy, Pastor Kristen, they are amazing. You should be here every single time you can. No excuses. When this door is open, you should be here. But I'm telling you, you cannot coast through life on the spiritual life of Pastor Jeremy. Girls, you cannot coast on Kristen's spiritual walk with the Lord. The same goes for any of the other leaders in this room. You cannot coast into heaven on their spiritual lives. 
Your parents cannot drag you into heaven. Nobody can do that but you. You're the only one in your life that can pack your own oil. Verse 10 says, but while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding, to the wedding banquet and the door was shut. A time is coming when the Lord will come again. The door will be closed. Verse 11 says this, later the others also came. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly I tell you, I do not know you. Did he say, no, you can't come in because you behaved badly? Did he say, I- I'm, I'm sorry, I didn't like some of the things you said or, or some of the things that you did? No. They weren't ready. This isn't like a story about all the behaviors that you need to get right. Those things will come later. But it's about being prepared, being ready for the Lord's coming. The reality is that Jesus is away preparing a place for us. He wants to know that we are here preparing for him. In the waiting, what are you doing to prepare for the Lord? Don't get hung up on your behaviors because the Lord says, I don't know you. They knock on the door. Imagine how terrible that must have felt to know that you were in the party. You were one of the 10 that was invited. You were important enough. You were special enough to be thought of and to be included. But when the moment came, they said, I I don't know you. Imagine how terrible that must have felt. I wonder tonight, does the Lord know your name? Not does the Lord know your parents. Not does the Lord know that you belong to Emerge Youth Church. Does the Lord know you? And do you know him? The bottom line is this. It's a heart issue. You either have a heart for the Lord or you have a heart for you. The foolish bridesmaids knew what their job was. It was to prepare the bride for the bridegroom. And by not preparing their lamps properly, when the time came for them to step up and to serve the bride, because they didn't take care of their own business, what did they have to do? They had to scramble and scurry and try to get their act together because they hadn't taken care of it back when they needed to. The bride was depending on these bridesmaids to help out, to do one simple job, to help her get ready for the groom. And they didn't do it, which is selfish and foolish. It's a heart issue. You either have a heart for the Lord, you have a heart to serve him, to serve his people, to serve his church, to serve him to the very best of your ability. The Bible says you cannot serve two masters, right? Most of you probably know that scripture because why? You'll, you'll either serve one and hate the other, right? 
You, you can't possibly love two separate things. It just doesn't work that way. So it's a hard issue. You either love the Lord and you're working and you're ready. You're getting yourself ready so that you can help him prepare the church. I mean, this is the greatest possible news that everyone is invited to be a part of what the Lord has offered. And if that's true, and I believe from the very bottom of my heart that it is, why in the world would we not be busy telling as many people as possible that Jesus is coming and they have a place at the seat of the table with him? It's our job to help the bride be prepared for the bridegroom. So something like this, I mean, there's really no like light way to, to really reflect on this story. It, it's one of those stories that carries a lot of weight with it. And it's important because it matters to each and every one of us in the room tonight. So I want to give you a couple of really practical things that you can do. If you're seriously considering tonight, am I ready? And if I'm not, what can I do to get ready? I think that, that again, like we've talked about Pastor Jeremy's heart. He's laid out the plan already for you this year. It's called the 167. I know you've heard about the 167. Some of you are still wearing your T-shirts. What's the 167? We've got 168 hours in the week. You get one of them here, and it should be the best hour of your week. I hope that it is for you. It's one of the highlights of my week. Every single time I get to walk in here, I get to dance across this stage and worship the Lord and listen to you guys sing and, and worship the Lord. And we get to spend these moments building our relationships with each other and with the Lord. It's amazing. But that is only one of the 168 hours. The rest are on you. The rest is the time when you need to be filling your jar of oil. You got to fill it up. You got to fill it up if you're going to be able to help the bridegroom. How do we do that? It's really simple. Pastor Jeremy's laid out the plan. The first thing we do is we spend time in the Word. Spend time in the Word. Sometimes it can be intimidating, and sometimes it can be confusing to spend time in Scripture. Seriously, Matthew 24, if you go home and read it tonight, you'll be like, what the heck is this? This is crazy. And then you'll understand why you haven't read it yet, okay? Because there's a lot of stuff in, in the Scripture that can be confusing. It really can be. That's why I would challenge you guys, take it slow. Take it slow. Do not be in a rush to check things off your list, okay? For, for most of us, the Bible in a year, it, it's unnecessary. I'm not saying don't do it. If you have the capacity for that, go for it for sure. You know, it's never going to hurt you to get the word in your heart, but it's so much better if you can digest it and allow it to sink into your spirit and understand what it means. So take it slow. Read, read just a couple of verses at a time and make sure you understand exactly what the Lord is communicating to you and allow him to speak to you through his word. The second thing, spend time in worship. We've got the word. We've got worship. How do we do that? Like at home. I mean... I'm not going to follow you home and dance across your living room like this. That'd be weird and creepy. But you can worship on your own. And it doesn't have to be anything elaborate or fancy, but just spending moments thinking about God's blessings to you and thanking him for that. 
spending time singing songs that you can think of, spending time looking up, um, you know, a song that we've done here on a Wednesday night, look it up on YouTube and just let it play and just let it sink into your heart at home. You don't even have to sing it. Just allow it to just get into your mind and into your heart. Spend time worshiping. Third thing is prayer. Prayer is so simple. I know that we, we try to make it elaborate and, and we try to make it way more than it is, but it's just talking to God. I know all of you guys in this room know how to talk. You talk all the time. You talk to each other. You talk to other groups of friends. You talk, 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 talk. I do it too. I talk way too much. I should probably talk less and listen more. We know how to talk. So talk to the Lord. Spend time in prayer and make it a conversation. Just tell the Lord what's on your heart. That's what praying is. And the fourth thing is this, godly community. Where do you find godly community? Right here is a good start, right? How many of you love coming to Emerge Youth Church? You better raise your hand. Or I'll have Isaac slap you. Godly community, it, seriously, it will get you through so much in life. I cannot tell you where I'd be right now without my friends in life, without people who love the Lord and love me and help me through things, people that offer godly counsel and wisdom that can speak to you and that can walk with you through, through either difficult times or celebrate with you in the good times. It, it's something that you absolutely cannot replace in your life. Find community in this room. And let me tell you this part, just like I said, everybody is invited to this party with Jesus. Everybody's invited in this room. Some of you might feel like you don't have many relationships in this room. Some of you might feel like you're still struggling to connect with people. You're looking for some of the right relationships. Let me tell you this. If you look hard enough, you're going to find them here. The worst thing you can do is shut yourself off and think, I just don't belong here or I just don't connect. That is a lie from the enemy. You have a place here. Every single one of you are welcome here. You are loved here. And your life will become better by being a part of what God is doing right here in Emerge Youth Church. So how the heck do we apply this message? By doing the 167, the things that we've been talking about all year long. That's how we prepare ourselves for the return of Christ. That's how we get ready. That's how we look. That's how we wait. That's how we make ourselves busy working for the Lord not in a negative way, but in a positive way to be ready and be prepared because Jesus is coming back and it might be tonight. Are you ready?